Do I need another one? That one's working. All right. Uh, bring anything to mind, that little uh, thing on the screen there? I was, I was going to have that up earlier and, and uh, um, so that we can kind of throughout the uh, service see that little kind of pop up. And my, my intention of that, it may remind you of that little thing, you know, that we did as little kids. Some of you remember that, you know? Here's the church and here's the steeple and open the door and see all the people. Um, anyway, if you didn't figure that out, that's what that's all about. So, um, now you know the only problem with that little ditty is that uh, um, it misses, I think, one real fundamental issue, one fundamental point, and that is this, is, this, this here is not the church. This is. We are the physical church. It's not that, I mean, this is a building that, where we worship. This is a building. It's a, it's a good place to meet, but we don't come here to church. We are the church. And we come here to this building. There's a real fundamental difference uh, there that we probably ought to concentrate on just a little bit uh, more than we do. Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, If you choose, if you'd like to, you could actually turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Instead, you can look at either place because they are quotations one of the other. They're actually identical. Uh, But we're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 31 in just a little bit as we try to make our way uh, into this idea of what it means to live in the community of people where everyone knows the Lord and this, this, and we call the church. Um, I remember several years ago I was at a conference where one of the things that we did was probably one of the most uh, memorable things, uh, events that I've ever been a part of. And uh, the conference was really built around this idea that we are the people of God and that we are in a relationship, in relationship with God. And on one of the things that we did on the last day of that conference during our worship, they had this kind of this mock wedding ceremony where we were the bride, and that's a good biblical image, by the way. But we, uh, and we took the vows of commitment. Literally, we gave wedding vows where we pledged to be faithful uh, with our groom, Jesus Christ. Um, It was kind of a remarkable experience, and I I remember thinking then, even as I think now, about about wedding vows. Um, Have you ever noticed that wedding vows are, they seem to be a little one-sided, right? Um, If you look at, uh, you know, you think about them, if you've ever listened to them, really, uh, they really down, they just don't have much wiggle room in them. Um, I just wrote down some of the more traditional ways that people have chosen to share their wedding vows. Uh, here's one of that, uh, where, it's, where it says, I take you to be my husband or wife, depending on which one you happen to be, um, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, and from this day forward, until death do us part, or until we are parted by death. Um, there is no if in there. Did you notice that? No if. Uh, just this, this is what I'm going to do. This is, uh, this is my commitment to you. I, I, and I, I actually found a more modern version, but it says essentially the same thing. Here's what that says. I take you to be my spouse, 
my partner in life, my one true love, and one is, one there is a rather exclusive word, by the way, my one true love. I will cherish our union and love and love you more each day than I did the day before. I will trust you and respect you, laugh with you and cry with you, loving you faithfully through good times and bad, regardless of the obstacles that we may face together. I give you my hand, my heart, my love from this day forward as long as we both shall live. Do you hear in there that this is the commitment of one person to another, totally regardless of what the other person does. In a wedding, when two people stand before God and their friends and they take vows to one another, their vows are vows that are commitments of their resolve. It isn't based on someone else's response. It's just based upon themselves. This is what I am going to do. Those are covenants, by the way. They're not contracts, right? I mean, there is a difference. A covenant means I'm going to do my part in spite of what you do. That's what a covenant is. And you or someone else may even choose to go so far as to remove yourselves from that relationship, but that does, still does not absolve me of the responsibility of faithful love and commitment as long as possible. Um, maybe you remember back in the 2008 uh, presidential campaign, uh, the Gravina Island Bridge got a little bit of publicity there, commonly referred to as the Bridge to Nowhere. Um, it was supposed to replace the, four, uh, the, the ferry that, that currently connects the town of Ketchikan, uh, Alaska, to uh, Gravina Island. The, the proposed but again, that became a subject of the 2008 presidential campaign. But I believe that the planning for that bridge actually began somewhere back in 2004 and was projected to cost about $398 million just to bring that across. And they, they, they came up with some, of the, the, some federal dollars were, were designated for that and, and uh, uh, planning was... Uh, Actually, eventually, back by 2015, the planning for that bridge was actually canceled. But they'd gone through in several different. They hadn't. I don't think they'd start start building and, and stuff. But they'd had all the plans. They had all all the pictures and everything else. And uh, but it it uh, finally was canceled in 2015 due due to some fierce opposition. But I think that one of the things that that did for us is it really it really um, communicated um, this idea of unfinished business unfinished business. And I, you know, I think that that really is the Old Testament story. We could say that it's unfinished business. The Old Testament story is unfinished business. Everything that the Old Testament was about, everything that it was about was pointing in one particular direction. And that was the coming of the one who would finish the story. The one who has lived in anticipation of all of that Old Testament history. Um, unfinished business. Well, this story that we've been talking about for the past several weeks, uh, we started in Genesis. We're actually working our way up through the other end of the story. At some point, we have to leave the Old Testament and come to the New because the Old Testament is un unfinished business. It's, 
It, it, it only lives in anticipation of what God is going to do. Now, the story is really simple, isn't it? In case you forgot, the story is this. God longs to live in relationship with you and with me. He created this universe where you would have this perfect place to live in his company, to walk and to talk and to relax and to, to enjoy and to simply live in the fellowship of God. And we blew it. Don't forget that. We blew it. That's really been typical of every generation of humanity. We just continue to seem to ruin the story. And, and yet God's desire and God's plan and, and, and God's dream has always been, I want to live in a relationship with mankind, with human beings. Well, because of that broken story, something had to be done. And so I want to walk back to Jeremiah chapter 31, if you still have that open there. Jeremiah is the prophet that was writing during the days of, of, of the Babylonian exile. And uh, now we haven't really covered that uh, in our story, but after the kingdom divided, um, after David's reign and after Solomon's reign, uh, we ended up somewhere around 900 B.C. And uh, we had, in that time, we have two different kingdoms. The, the, the kingdoms were split in two. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in 721, 722, somewhere around that time, the Assyrians, they came down from the north and they just... They literally destroyed those northern ten tribes. Hauled them off, caused uh, these, these intermarriages to occur, and from there we get the Samaritans that you read about in John chapter 4. Um, these these half-breeds that developed after the Assyrian captivity. And if you read in throughout the New Testament, you, you sense that there's this, there's almost this... Uh, this tension, this, this hatred that the Jews have for the Samaritans and things like that, and, and that's because of this. There's, there's, there's a lot of history in there that's, that takes place. And that left only the two southern tribes, and we call them Judah. Uh, they were headquartered in Jerusalem, but even the nation of Judah couldn't stay faithful to God. And so somewhere around 586, the Babylonians came over and they swept away the southern two tribes as well, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people back to Babylon. And that's where Jeremiah writes. In that context of there, of there being literally no real sense of God's people left out there. And so Jeremiah says simply, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse number 31, here's what he says. The time is coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, it will, be like the, the, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, he, he says, I'm, I'm going to start over. I am going to create a new relationship. I am going to establish a new covenant because... Well, frankly, they, they botched up the old one. Now, the reference there that, that he makes to, to, to Egypt, and we've talked about that before. The reference, uh, he, he, he called them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. He, he gave them the law on Mount Sinai. And they, then they managed... Uh, to, to mess everything up, and then they had to wander in the wilderness for, uh, for 40 years before they could actually ever get to the promised land. But then they get into the promised land, 
and they mess everything up there. Ends, uh, ended up in, t in, in Syrian captivity, uh, ended up in uh, uh, Babylonian captivity, and so uh, God now comes along and says, oh, by the way, I'm planning to do this again, only with a different covenant. So look at verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Where was it by, before, by the way? Anybody? On some tablets. On two pieces of rock. On that, it was written on that stone tablet. He is going to contrast that in the New Testament numerous times between the old written code and this new covenant relationship in which is in our hearts and is in our minds. But he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Look at verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There is that hope that is presented in Jeremiah chapter 31, which by the way is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8. It's quoted word for word as the writer of Hebrews reminds us that it is in the church, it is in Christ that this covenant has been accepted, this covenant has been carried out. Now, there's some observations that I, I, I want to make this about this if this morning if you allow me <clears throat> and I think the first observation I would make is this is that we need to understand that the church has been planned from the very beginning the church has been planned from the very beginning it is the intention of God it has always been the intention of God that there would be a church now there are people out there by the way who believed that somehow that Jesus was going to come. Uh, the first time that he came, he was going to set up this sort of an earthly kingdom and, and he was going to carry out the plan that God had from the beginning. But then because Judas betrayed Jesus and, and Jesus was crucified and not able to set up his kingdom, that God had to kind of put in a temporary thing. And, and this temporary thing that he put in was the church so that he could go back then he could start over and send Jesus the second time to set up an earthly kingdom. Now there's a French word for that. You know what that is, right? Le bunk. <laughs> In case you know French and I said something that I shouldn't have, I, um, I apologize. <laughs> it's a bunch of baloney, right? It's a bunch of bunk. I mean, what? Jesus failed the first time? You've got to be kidding. Jesus never failed at anything, right? God's plan from the very beginning was that after Israel would, would, would come a new covenant, and that new covenant would be called the church. And in the church, people would have a relationship with God, and it was no accident that there was a church that came along. God didn't blow it and need something to put in the gap to build or to hold things together until he finally figured out what was going on, right? The law from the very beginning of time, it was given, from the very beginning of time that it was given, it was intended to help us to get ready for Jesus. 
Keep your fingers there in Jeremiah chapter 31 there, or Hebrews, wherever you're at, wherever you happen to be at. And, and just turn maybe just briefly to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. When Paul is trying to write to a bunch of Jewish Christians about their legalistic approach to becoming a Christian, he has this to say about our relationship with God in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse number 23, if you look at that. Galatians 3, 23. Paul says, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The law served, one translation says it, uh, or calls it a tutor, uh, not probably the best translation, but the, the slave that is represented here in the household of Jesus, in Jesus' day or in Paul's day, uh, there was a slave whose job was to make sure that the children got to school and that they learned. They were called the tutor. They weren't actually the teacher, but they were the ones who made sure that they got taught. They weren't the teacher. They made sure that they got taught. And the law was in place in order to help us get ready for Christ, to, to, to keep us hemmed in in the right place before God, before God until Jesus could come, until faith could come. But then listen what happens in verse number 26. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you hear it? That has been the plan. That the children of Abraham would live in a relationship with God and that those who have been baptized into Christ, those who have put on Christ, have entered into a relationship with Christ that makes them Abraham's children. That puts us in that relationship with the Father. God's covenant people are those who have accepted the covenant. Who have entered into a covenant relationship with him. That makes us the new Israel of God. The church, according to Galatians chapter, uh, uh, according to Galatians chapter three, well, that's 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 one of the observations that I have. But here's the second one. Let me just make the second one, which is the follow-up. This new covenant is qualitatively new. It's radically different. I I was actually trying to figure out how to illustrate that. You know the difference between new and new, right? You know, how do you do that? And I'm not sure that I know how. I, I thought about, um, I don't have one of these, but I thought about trying to locate one of these uh, abacuses. Uh, anybody ever seen one of those kind of things? <laughs> All right. Used you used one? Okay. <laughs> anybody seen one of them before? Yeah, we've all kind of seen that. All of you know that... Uh, you know, they, they have these little beads, they have these little rods that people use those, you know. I, some people know how to really use those, and they can, they can count really fast. They can, those numbers, you know, get them going really quick. And 
These are actually the precursors to our computer system, guys, for all of our young people, right? These, this is the precursor to our computer system. Take a look at it, okay? That's what it is. But the difference between an abacus and a computer is fairly radical. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? That's this word right here. This idea between new is not something that is merely more recent, but is something that is radically, completely different in its approach. This covenant that God has created is, yes, it's, it's more recent because it came after the covenant that was created with Abraham, but this, this one is new in kind, and the, and the way that it is new in kind is that you enter into it a different way. To become a part of the old covenant, that was really simple, right? You were born into a Jewish family. That's all it took. If you wanted to be a part of the family of Abraham, just be born into, into one of those Abrahamic families and you got it. You're in, right? You didn't have to know anything about God. You just had to be born into the family. But in the new covenant, there's a new entrance requirement. And a new... Um, and the new entrance requirement is very simple as well. You get to choose to come in. You elect to come in. You decide to be in the kingdom. It's your choice. Nobody else's. No one else can put you in this kingdom. You have to choose that for yourself. It's, it's interesting that the image that he chooses is the, is the birth image for that. However, you, you are reborn into this kingdom into this relationship and if you notice in the text it says in verse number 34 it says no longer will a man teach his neighbor saying everyone say, uh, everyone's saying know the Lord because they all know him see that wouldn't be true in Judaism right you could be born into a Jewish family and never know God but if you're a part of this new covenant, the only way that you can get into the covenant is if you know God. And so if I don't have to say to you, do you know God? The assumption is that you wouldn't be in this covenant if you didn't know God. So if you don't know God, you're not in this covenant. You may have been through all the right steps, but you aren't in the covenant. Because the covenant is made up of, all, of people who know God. That's how it works. And therefore, those who know God have committed themselves to the covenant relationship with God, which means things like serving God and growing uh, in, in your relationship with God and getting to know him better and learning how to develop your, your Christian life in a way that makes you different than you used to be. Taking more and more and more on yourself of the character of God upon you because you want to look like your older brother and his name is Jesus. Well, there's a third implication and that is this. The church is the community of the redeemed. There's that word that we've been talking about, the thread that we've been talking about from the story from the beginning of Genesis moving towards the book of Revelation, the thread that we've been looking at is this idea of redemption, and the church is a community of redeemed people. 
and so therefore we live like it. The church, who are the people of God, we are the redeemed people of God. We have entered into this new covenant whereby you, you have to be born into it, it, it by rebirth. You have to know the Lord. You have to, be, you have to be forgiven and redeemed, he says in a particular text, in this particular text. And so we're going to live like redeemed people. And in the living of that particular story, we discover that there is an experience of living in a forgiven life. God reaches down and he takes our sin that we have committed through the blood of through the blood of Christ. We are a forgiven people. As redeemed people, we experience God's grace. As redeemed people, we, we experience God's mercy. And so we begin to extend that grace and that mercy to other people. The nature of the relationship of living with God is that we live in a forgiven experience. We live in a forgiven experience. And so that forever begins to change our perspective about our relationship with others. We give what we've received. We give a relationship in which there is room for grace, where there is room to participate in people's lives at a level that we have never experienced before. My, my guess is that we are all familiar with the, the old sitcom, the, uh, the show Cheers. Anybody not heard of Cheers? Um, that aired uh, on NBC from 1982 to 1993. Now, I have to, I, to be honest with you, full disclosure, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I've seen it only a couple times. I really did not watch it very much. But um, I've thought about this, though, a number of times. Um, they aired for about 11 years, from 1982 uh, to 1993. The, the setting, though, from that sitcom was your local bar. It, it was a place established, I think, in, in Boston. And there's a number of people who are the regulars that come into this bar. A number of people, you, ever, you know, the shows would show some, some people coming in that would frequent the place, uh, but also some that would be kind of strangers that would come in and, and, and you'd see them from time to time. And really the theme of the show was, was how, how all of these locals, and along with the employees of, in this bar, uh, all the workers there, interacted with one another. And the idea was is that they were just like family, right? And that's really what you see in the show. People who, when I got down to it, that they really cared about one another, that they really helped one another, that, you know, when, when, when it got, I mean, yeah, they kind of kidded with each other, and they would poke fun at each other, and they would criticize each other once in a while, but, but when it really got down to it, they, they were willing to help each other, and they showed concern for each other, and they were, they were family, and that's what the show was trying to get across. That, in fact, that the theme song summed it up that says, where everyone knows your name. Um, yeah, I, I think about that. I think, you know what, that is really what the church should be like. You know, minus the, all the, 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 the drinking and, the, and the, um, some of the other themes that kind of go on within that. That's, that's really the nature of the covenant that we have, that you and I have with each other. Not, again, not to the drinking, not some of the other... The, the other themes that were characterized in the show, but, but you understand, don't you? That's what the church is should... See, the church is all about 
being there for one another. That's what we're here for. The, the, the church is all about opening our homes when, when, when a need arises or, or reaching out when the rest of the world looks at you as if, if you had something wrong with you. There's acceptance that takes place here. There's love and there's encouragement. And, and, and that is really the nature of this thing that we're really talking about. Talking about being a part of the church is talking about being a part of a covenant relationship with people whereby those who know God also know each other and those who love God love each other and those who care for uh, and, and those uh, who know God care for one another as well and so what we're really talking about is this relational kind of experience whereby those of us who know Christ treat each other the way that we have been treated well as we close this morning I I, I really, I think we need to talk about and share. Here's really what our concern is this morning, as it always is, and it's really simple. As a church, what is our, our, our we want people, our goal, our main focus is we want people to know Jesus Christ. We want people to know Christ. We want people to know God. We want every person who walks into our doors to be those about whom you don't need to say, know the Lord, because they already know him. Right? That's why we're here. We're here for the simple reason of introducing people to Jesus, then to grow in your relationship with Jesus so that you can walk, so that you can talk in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and then we're here to serve one another and help one another and to be that body of Christ that, that extends the grace, that extends the, 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 the uh, mercy that we have received from God, that extends that on to other people. And that is our goal. That is what we are all about here. And we want to do that. We want to live that way. And so my, my challenge for us is, and as we see that happen within this community already, is to leave these doors and go out and reach out and to do that, but also grow in our relationship with Christ. And that's the challenge that I want to present to us. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, why don't we stand together as we, as we close up today. Father, we are so thankful for this thing that you call the church. It's really us. It's really all of those who are here who have made that commitment to you through your son Jesus. It's not about this building. It's about being an example to the world. It's about being who you want us to be so that others can see. Uh, it's about being who you want us to be so that we are pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that down deep in us that we would recognize that this, is, this, is, this has been your plan since the very beginning. The church. The church is the instrument through which you want people to see and hear about Jesus Christ. 
And so, Father, I pray that for all of us here as we, as we head out these doors today and head into that mission field that we call the world, that you would remind us that we are, in fact, the church. And that, God, you would take our lives and use them for um, purposes that would have um, set an example to the world of what the church is really about, but what you are about. Father, that you would be honored through our lives each and every day. So, Father, I just pray that you help us to be a good example of the church of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, I had, um, any very-